Well, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to use my Bible and to teach the Word of God. And, um, you know, I'm going to be talking about some stuff tonight that uh, my wife and I were talking this afternoon, and she said something fairly profound. She is always doing that. And, um, and she said, you know, the things that we're talking about, they're kind of, they're kind of abstract. They're kind of hard to believe. They're, they're kind of out there. But, you know, think about it. Um, 11 months ago, 12 months ago, would you have ever dreamed that we would be... Uh, um, it legislated not to be able to come to church? Would you have ever dreamed that we'd be, have to walk around with our faces covered everywhere we went? Would you ever dream that people in our church would have passed away through, through, through a, a pandemic across the world? You see, there's a lot of things that we, are, we get used to our, our situations and we get used to our, our environment. And uh, we forget that uh, the things that are happening around us are spiritual things, things that are, are beyond our understanding. We're going to be talking about some of that tonight, but I will tell you this. The bottom line is, this book is, the whole point of this book, the whole, the whole uh, keys to this book is faith. There, there's so many things in here. I, I tell the guys a lot. There's stuff in here that Steven Spielberg and, and those guys, could, they could never conceive of these ideas. And yet these, some of these people wrote about things that were so far beyond their comprehension. I think about Isaiah writing about uh, literally what happens to a person's body when an atom bomb goes off and a guy had never seen gunpowder. I mean, there's things in this Bible that just will, will, they'll, it'll confound you. But don't let that shake you up. Because we're talking about the thoughts of God and the ways of God. Amen. Well, tonight I have the privilege of, uh, of once again, of bringing the Word of God before you. And uh, we're talking about prophecy. We're talking about the end times, the things to come. And uh, tonight we're going to be looking at the uh, second event that takes place. Last time we looked at uh, uh, what, ha- what we're looking at is what happens after the rapture of the church and uh, during the 70th week of Daniel. And last time we looked at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, last week we called, and that's called the Bema seat, if, you'll, if you remember. And uh, we established that it takes place uh, between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. In just a couple of minutes I'm going to show you a slide and you'll get a little maybe a, a visual picture of what we're talking about there. Uh, we concluded that apparently it takes place very soon after the rapture of the church. And in that event, the saints are going to have to give an account for the works that they did on this earth. The works they did, as the Bible terms, in Christ. Um, uh, those works uh, will be evaluated by Christ and deemed if they were valuable. Valuable to God. Valuable to His purpose and His plan. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if, uh, if it comes up on the screen there, Dan. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, therefore, if any man be in Christ, there's that phrase, he's a new creature. Now, this is a very familiar passage. We've heard this many, many times. It's been quoted many, many times. It says, all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. But a lot of times we stop there and we don't read the next verse. Does anybody know what the next phrase is? I just heard it. Alex said it. All things are of God. You see, when we look at that rebirth, we start thinking about all things being new, about all these different things that we have to change. That's not what that's saying. What that's saying is that now we're in Christ, everything that we do is different. The person that we're married to is the same person, but the way we treat that person is different. The job that we have is the same job, but the way we go there and the approach to it is different. That's what those verses are talking about. We've had a change in our, our life, our behavior, our demeanor, all of that has changed. And that judgment that we just talked about, the Bema Seat, that's going to be judging what we did with the rewards that we have, the, the, uh, the things that we get, the, uh, the promises and the blessings and the, the, uh, all the things that God gives us. We're going to give an account for those things, what we did with them, and whether or not they were valuable to God, whether or not they were valuable to His cause and His purpose on this earth. 
And it'll come down to details. It's going to, and to think about this, how many hundreds of thousands and thousands of people are going to stand at that Bema seat? And think about that. Every one of those people, God's going to take the time. Now, granted, there's no time in space or no time in God's, God's world, but he's going to take that, that, that time for you to stand before him and give an account for all those things in your life. Now, not about you, but that makes my knees weak. And I know I'm going to be on my face before him pleading for forgiveness for the times that I just dropped the ball and I just didn't do what I should have done. I, I know I mentioned some of that last week, so I won't belittle that point. But that's going to take place, and we talked about that last time. And the thing I was getting to there is that we're, we're uh, in the Bible called the church or the bride. And we'll talk tonight, we're going to talk a lot about that. That's who's going to be there. The bride's going to be there. So tonight, if you're saved, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are going to be standing there at that judgment. And uh, this other slide, if we can get that up there, the second slide, and give you that time frame, give Robert just a second to do that. We're going to be looking a little closer at the second event that's named on this slide. The marriage of the Lamb. And uh, we want to go to the Lord in prayer, so while he's working on that, let's do that. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to help. Father, I just thank you, Father, for the privilege of standing behind the sacred desk. And I recognize, Lord, tonight that that's not a light thing to take that lightly. I don't take it lightly. And, Father, I recognize that there's a responsibility that goes along with speaking from this pulpit. And I pray, Father, that you'd put a watch about my lips tonight. May you use me as a vessel unto honor. May the folks in this room understand and, and receive the words of God that you might uh, uh, teach them and, and mature them so that they might grow into being more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the promises that we have in your word. And I pray tonight, Father, we let you hold of those promises and just glorify you and edify you tonight for those promises. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, how are we doing back there? Well, we'll let him, <laughs> he's going like this. So, okay. Well, this morning I was talking to the sound guys, and they're having a little bit of issues with some things back there. So if we don't get that rolling, we won't worry about it too much. Tonight, the first thing what we're going to talk about is the bride and the bridegroom. There are several passages. I want, to, I want to, before I get too much further here, I want to reiterate. What I'm going to be talking about is not, just, not necessarily just what's going on in heaven. The, uh, the plan was to explain while the tribulation goes on the earth, and that's what pastor's been dealing with here now for weeks, about what's happening on this earth. And we're going to explain what was happening, what's happening in heaven. But tonight it's kind of both sides. We're going to see what's going on in heaven, but we're also going to recognize what's going on on the earth and how it relates. And that's, that's kind of the point. There's several passages in the New Testament that describe the relationship between the church and Lord Jesus Christ in terms of marriage and, and the bride and bridegroom. And that's what we're going to do tonight. So why don't you turn over to John chapter 3 in your Bible. Uh, if, we can get, if we can get the verses up there, we will. But uh, if not, we'll just go to, we'll go to the verses. John chapter 3, verse, verses 26 through 30 tonight. I'll try to slow down. I know last week I went pretty fast. I was told that I, I lost a lot of you. I'm sorry about that. Uh, try to cram a lot of information into one, one time frame. But uh, you can see it for yourself here. Time, uh, John chapter 3, verse 26 to 30 says, And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Now notice that. A man can receive nothing that except to be given to him from heaven. Then he goes on and says, Ye yourselves bear witness, uh, excuse me, bear me witness, that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Now watch this. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. This is one of those references to the church being the bride. But the, now, and there's some other things I want you to notice here. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. 
This is my joy, therefore, and therefore, this, this my joy is therefore fulfilled. I must increase, but he must decrease. John is giving testimony here that he's not part of the bride. He's part of the Old Testament. Here John basically uses this scene as a wedding at the wedding to, to answer the question about his relationship to Jesus Christ. He also answers the question of whether or not he was the last Old Testament prophet or the first New Testament prophet. That's been a controversy for a long time with scholars. But notice what he says here. He says uh, he is a friend of the bridegroom, uh, of the bride, not, a bride, not the bride. And then we're going to see a little more of that as we go along here. That's a designation of all those who are saved but not part of the church. And you'll understand that a little more as we go along. But that makes him the last of the Old Testament prophets. And notice what he says here. He says, he that hath the bride. The, uh, I have the same fly you had here, Brother Padillo. Uh, yeah, apparently he wasn't happy with you, so he decided to go over here. That's because I'm sweeter, right? <laughs> oh, anyway, I really appreciated that song, didn't you? Uh, I love I love it. You can uh, just just I love the word of God being sang and, and the praises being sung to the Lord. Now, so this uh, John says here that he is not the bride. The one who is espoused or in the Jewish culture married to the bride is the bridegroom. Now, I want to just stop here for just a second, and explain a little bit. If you don't know, in the Jewish culture, the way the, the marriage thing worked was uh, 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 the, the 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 husband or the uh, father of the of the woman, the father of the of the girl, the the daughter would look for a husband. And uh, when he found one that, that wanted her as, as his wife, uh, he would, uh, they would be espoused. Now, in the Jewish culture, that meant they were married at that point. They, they were married, legally married, but they did an espousal period. Uh, was a year, and that the espousal period was designed to show that that woman was pure for that man, okay? That she wouldn't be wooed away by another man. We'll talk a little more about that as we go along here. Uh, but it, so that's what he's talking about. He says, uh, when, I, when I say the one who has espoused, uh, and, the, and, the, and they weren't officially married until the marriage of the Lamb and the co consummation of the marriage. And then the feast came, and that's what we're talking about tonight. And like I said, hopefully you'll understand a little more about that as we go along. Turn over to Isaiah 62 in your Bible. There's another, another, some more verses here that talk about the bridegroom. And this is an interesting verse. It took a little time to kind of decide what this was talking about. But if you go back and read Isaiah 62, in the context, you'll recognize what I'm saying here. Isaiah 62, 4 through 5. What, what, uh, what Isaiah's speaking about here, the Lord's speaking about and writing about here is, 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 is the Jews in Jerusalem and, and his chosen people. And he says here in, in chapter 62, starting in verse 4, he says, Thou shalt no more be termed, be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land be any more desolate. Any idea what that's talking about, desolate? Where else do we hear that term and see that term? The abomination of desolation. Amen? No more, and this is, this is talking about tribulation, Jews, right? It says, but thou shalt be called Hezbollah. Hezbollah. And that's, uh, that means uh, my beloved or, or, or my, my cherished, if you will. And thy land, Beulah, which means married. Has the idea of married. Has the idea of master and then married. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and the land shall be married. Notice that. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, now watch that, for as a young man marrieth a virgin, or in the same manner, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? As the bride, we know that the Bible says that the Lord cherishes the church as his bride. It says, so the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall God rejoice over thee. It's talking about how the Father is going to rejoice over the nation of Israel in the millennial reign as he gets, his, as he gets back to the position he belongs as, as, as uh, the Father of Israel and Lord Jesus Christ reigning over Israel. 
But notice there, it talks about the bridegroom rejoicing over the bride. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. Notice in John chapter 3, what, uh, if, see, normally it would be up there on the screen. In John chapter 3, uh, if, I don't know if you had your finger there or not, but in, in, that, in that passage it said, But the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoices greatly. See, the friend is not part of the marriage union. It's not far, he's, they're not part of the two families that are getting married. Uh, of course, the families are who? The church and Jesus Christ, okay? Those are the two families, if you will. And this is an analogy, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. John is seen as the last Old Testament prophet. His point is that the age is changing, and he's, he is typifying himself as the best man at a wedding. It'll make a little more sense if, as we, if we get it, and, we, and of course we're not going to get there, uh, to the, if you study the marriage supper. And if you want the notes on that, I can email those to you. The marriage supper is not the same thing as the marriage of the Lamb. Just the marriage supper actually takes place after the tribulation on the earth. Think about this. When we go to a wedding, uh, we go in and we, uh, we watch the bride and the, and the groom come forth and they say their vows and they go through that. And then what happens? Party time, right? And then we get to go where? To the reception, amen? Where all the food's, food is and all that, amen? Come on, I can get a witness on that, amen? <laughs> That's where all the pies are. By the way, anybody doing chocolate silk? Shame on you. First shame. I, okay. <laughs> I'm looking forward to pie evening, amen? So the friend is not part of the union of the two families. John is seen as the last of the Old Testament prophets here, and he's typifying himself as being part of the wedding as the best man. And as I said, that'll take, make a little more sense if you look at the marriage supper. But for now, it's important to see that John says he, he and his disciples are those under the law as the Jews as a nation are the friends of Jesus or the friends of the bridegroom. And so we're looking at, so we looked at the bride and the bridegroom. Now we're going to look at married to another. Uh, turn over to Romans chapter 7. This passage talks about it as well. Like I said, there's many passages that I could go through and talk about, but these are some of the more primary passages that talk about us being the bride. And by the way, you ought to be rejoicing tonight. Um, this is the, what a privileged position it is to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are, we are in, men, in all of men's history, uh, we are a royal priesthood, if you will. We are set aside uh, for the marriage of the Lamb. What an incredible thing that is. What a privilege that is. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she is married to another, she shall be called an adulteress. But, if the, but, but her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress. Now here's the next phrase I want you to see. Though she be married to another. And of course, this is talking about a widow that has lost, that has lost her husband and she gets married again. Okay? Wherefore, based on what he just said, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. That she, and watch this, that she should be married to another. Amen? To even, even to him who is raised from the dead. Of course, we know who that is. Amen? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we are in the flesh, the motions of the sins, excuse me, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And of course, we talked a few minutes ago about the newness of life in Christ, being a new creature in Christ. In these verses, Paul is addressing the issue of adultery and divorce, is what he's talking about here. 
And Paul says that the woman who is bound by her woman is bound by her husband, bound to her husband by the law, under the law. And it's not until he's dead that she's free from that bond or that law according to the Mosaic law. Now, if you were to go back in John and look back to our, excuse me, not John, but Romans here, look back to verse 4, it says, In the same manner, uh, when Christ went to the cross, he obeyed the law unto death, and he fulfilled the ceremonial law. What you need to understand here is there's two sides of the law. There was the moral law and the ceremonial law. The moral law is the law we live under today. It's still there. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not you know, steal. That's, that's the moral law. But under the, under the Mosaic law was the civil law. That was the, where you came and brought your, you know, if we were under the civil law, you'd be bringing turtle doves up here and rams and pastor would be up here hacking their heads off and, you know, you know drop, dropping the blood. Now, aren't you glad we're not under the law? Amen. Amen. We're under grace. What a, what a powerful thing that really is. But, it, but this, this is what this is talking about. We're not under that. That uh, Christ fulfilled that ceremonial law when he went to the cross of Calvary. He became, as we talked about last week, the ultimate sacrifice. All the Old Testament sacrifices were a picture of what was going to come. And the, the pivotal point in all men's history, when Christ went to that cross of Calvary and died for this, to eradicate the sins of all men, previous and, and future. Amen? And that's what that's all about. So, so um, um I've got to find my, my spot here. I lost my place. So in the same manner, when Christ went to the cross and, and obeyed the law unto death, he fulfilled that ceremonial law. And those who have the blood of Christ applied to their account in heaven. And by the way, I want to stop there. I think I mentioned this this morning in Sunday school. Uh, it, it is the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ that saves you. The shed blood covers the, the sin. It's not about the death. Uh, there are people who teach that all it was was Christ dying was all that was necessary. That's not what the Bible teaches. Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Amen? So it's Christ's blood. If you're under the blood, if you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you ought to be, you ought to be shouting about that. You ought to be jumping up and shouting. Because without that, you've got no hope, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning. You're not part of the commonwealth of Israel. You have no, no, uh, no claim on the promises of God at all without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But he says in verse 4 that uh, dead to the law, they, but we're not dead to the law anymore. What are we now? By the way, what law is he talking about there? When he says dead to the law, he's talking about the Mosaic law. But what does the Mosaic law, in uh, Romans, well, let me just tell you. In Romans, it says that we're under the law of sin and death. That's the law that we lived under when we were under the law, when they're under the Mosaic law. But now we're alive in what? In Christ, amen? That's what that phrase is talking about. When you say that phrase in Christ, be just, just, uh, just, Stand on that for a minute. Selah. Stop and think about what that means. In Christ, now you're no longer under the law. You're no longer bound by that. Amen. You're alive in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as Adam in Adam all what? Die. The law showed us that. Amen. Uh, uh, the law brought, brought the, the knowledge of sin. Sin brings death. Amen. Even so in Christ you shall what? All be made alive. Praise the Lord. So you were dead in trespasses and sin, but now you're alive in Christ. And boy, I'll tell you what, if that doesn't fire you up, your wood's wet. And that's a fact. Those who are loosed from the bondage of the law and sin and death by the death of the Savior, Romans chapter 8, verse 2, are free, verse 4, to be married to another. You see how that works out? Uh, we're, we're no longer married to that, that, that law because we're, it's what? It's, been, it's dead. It's been fulfilled. It's been eradicated. Amen. So now we're able to be married to another, remarried to even him who was raised from the dead. And as a woman who was widowed and remarried starts, what, what, is, what happens when a, when a widow gets remarried again? What does she do? She starts a new life, a whole new life, amen? 
She has to take and, 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 and meld the things of the old. She has to forget those things and start a new life with a new person in a new home and all those kinds of things. That's a picture of us starting our new life in Christ. You know, uh, my, uh, Pastor mentioned my past. And, and, and I'm not, I don't forget my past. The Bible says to remember where you came from. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. We, excuse me. We should never, ever forget the grace that afforded us to come where we are now to get where we are now. It's all, as the Bible says, everything we've been given has come down from the Father of lights. And we should never forget that. Um, but we have the opportunity now that we are married to another, and we have the opportunity now to start a new life, a brand new life. Well, I'll tell you what. I gotta, we got to get one of those salt guns. We can sit up, you know, excuse me a moment while I kill this fly. Oh. <laughs> so... Um, as the woman who is divorced and remarried gets a new life, we are, we are free from the penalty of sin, and we get to start the new life in Christ. My question to you tonight, and I'm going to stop here for just a second, if you don't mind, and preach for just a moment, meddle just a little bit. Have you started your new life? Or are you still working on that stuff in the past? Are you still using this, doing the same old stuff the same old way, with the same old approach, and not letting that new life in Christ take over? and change how you approach everything. Approach, attitude and approach is the same thing. When I was in school, they used to tell me you got a bad attitude. I had a bad attitude, amen? That's nothing but my approach to things. How do you approach things now? When you go to work, how do you go to work? Oh, man, it's Monday. Oh, I hate Mondays. Man, I hate Mondays. Oh, yay, it's Friday. Hey, it's Friday. Is that how you approach work? Or do you approach work like, praise the Lord, I've got another day to go out there and emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got another day to serve Him. I've got another day to, to uh, allow God to bless me with all the things that He wants in my life. How do you approach your work? You know, I got, uh, my pastor years, 30 years ago, my pastor did a message one time on how to, why to go to work on Monday morning, and I never forgot it. It changed my whole life because he told me just what I told you. I have a brand new life. I don't have to approach work like that anymore. I don't have to approach my life like that anymore. Uh, you know what? The guy that cuts you off in traffic, so what? Think about it. So what? As long as he doesn't hit you, it's all cool, right? <laughs> but I mean, you know, in the old days, I'd chase him down and run him off the road and go back and, you know, anyway, I won't go through all that. But, but I don't have to do that anymore because everything I do now is what? In Christ. If we can just get a handle on that, we're in Christ. I no longer, I can start a brand new life. Now watch, I want you to watch something here. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11.2. 2 Corinthians, watch how the Apostle Paul deals with his converts. This is interesting. And of course, as I said before, this has to do with not just what's going on in heaven, but what's going on down here while we're here and how, while we're living here. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Well, why is Paul jealous over his converts so much? Because he's promised them as what? as a promised bride in the espousal period, right? He views these people like, he's, like, their spirit, like they are his spiritual daughter. He says, For I have espoused you to another, to, excuse me, to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The apostle looks at them as his daughter, and he's concerned about their purity. And by the way, if you don't know anything about the Corinthian church, you should recognize that this was a problem church. It had all kinds of issues and problems, and Paul's trying to straighten some of that stuff out. He looks at his converts like a father seeking a fitting husband for his daughter. That's how a girl in Paul's day would look for a husband. The father would promise, to, promise or espouse his daughter to a man, and then for a year he would be responsible to watch over her and make sure she wasn't wooed away by another man. 2 Corinthians 11.3, our text. But I fear lest by any means, 
As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Now, we just talked about what's in Christ is about. What Paul's concerned about here is these people would be wooed away by somebody else, by another way of thinking. In, time, in Paul's day, it was Judaism, Gnostics, Hellenists, and things like that. But in our day, what is it? Religion. You realize religion is man seeking God, and Malachi says that man cannot, or uh, Malachi, I think it might be Micah that said that. A man cannot find God by looking for him. God's got to find the man. He's got to seek that person out. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, religion, religions today are, are, men, uh, are men trying to find God by doing what? Works, behavior. You know, it isn't your behavior that changes you. The change in you is what causes your behavior to change. Amen? And it's not about what you do. It's about your heart condition. Pastor, did a more, the, that message this morning was right on target. It was hitting the nail on the head. It, it's a heart issue. It really is. It's a heart issue. And uh, what Paul's worried about is these people are, would forsake their pure heart for Christ. He was afraid the Hellenists would come along and start talking to him about science and Greek and all that. Uh, the, the Gnostics would talk about knowledge and science. The Hellenists would talk about their, their situation and all these different uh, facets of, of other belief systems. We're in the espousal period. Don't you, don't you struggle with all the voices out there? Come on. I mean, really, raise your hand if you don't struggle with all the voices out there. There's just a million people telling you a million different things, amen? Especially you young people. I know how you're thinking. I used to be one of those, amen? Long time ago, amen? <laughs> I was one of you guys. And I remember what that was like when my dad says this and my mom says this, but then these people say that and my teacher says this and somebody else says that and the book I read says this. And you, what is about all these voices? Who's right? Who's wrong? Well, the problem is that's you trying to find God. Why don't you just let God find you? Why don't you just by faith turn your, turn your eyes to him and say, Lord, I need you to find me. I need you to teach me. And where would, you, where would you go to find out what God wants in your life? Hollywood. Oh, yeah, go to Hollywood. That'll do it. Right? How about Reader's Digest? Is that going to do it? I kind of doubt it. Where would you go? You go over here to King James, right? <laughs> Ask him. He'll tell you. <laughs> Seriously, go to the Word of God, amen. amen? That's where you find out. And if you'll just take the time to do that, to study it, to work it through, to think about it, use your head, amen? Don't let somebody else tell you what's going on. Use your head. Look at the Word of God. It's, God's the author of logic. He's the author of it. He's going to teach you exactly what's up. We have a principle at the ranch, only God knows how to make life work. And that's so true. Paul saw himself as a spiritual father. Roman, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm just going to read this to you. It's kind of a long passage, but I mean, I've got all night, right? <laughs> Submitting yourselves one to another in fear of God. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Now watch what it says, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy without blemish. That's what's going on down here. That's what's happening now in our lives. Christ is trying to, to purify you and keep you purified so that when they stand before the beam of seat of Christ, all you have to worry about is hearing, well done, well, good and faithful servant. Amen? So ought men to love their wives as, as their own bodies. The, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourish it and cherish it, even as the Lord the church. Notice that. 
The Lord Jesus Christ loves you in a way that you can't even understand, in a way that goes beyond your comprehension. The question is, do you love him back? As we talked about this morning, like I said, I really think that message was on, on point. If you didn't hear that, you need to stream it. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. He says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. These are very descriptive verses in regard to the relationship between the Lord and his church. The subject of that whole passage was the idea of submission. Then the Apostle Paul uses phrase after phrase that depicts the church as like a bride or like a wife. Husbands, a husband is the head of the wife, even Christ the head of the church. Again, a, a picture of, the, of being a bride. The wife is subject to the husband like the church is subject to Christ. And husbands are to love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Now, of course, again, another, another passage that talks about us sacrificing. Amen? He's willing to give his ultimate, ultimate sacrifice for the church. The wife or the espoused daughter, if you will, is watched carefully to ensure that she's pure for her bridegroom, such as the church. We are, to be, we are in the espousal period right now in the church age. He says in chapter 5, verse 27, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I'll tell you what, that's something we want to think through a little bit. We want to look at that and look at our lives and put that up against our life and see if, in fact, there's any spots or wrinkles or any such thing. Amen? One of his days, we're going to stand before him and give an account. Husbands are to cherish their wives, verse 29, even as Christ cherishes, cherishes his church. Now, I'm not going to get into all that. I could, I could spend all night on that passage, amen? That's not what we're talking about. How do we feel about him? He feels about us like this. He cherishes us, amen? Do we cherish him? Do we cherish his, his, his cause and his purpose? And, 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 and Paul says this is a mystery. See, not everybody had that privilege, of being part of the bride. Not everybody understands that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. A mystery is that something was previously unknown. Well, who was this unknown to? The Jews. Amen? They had no idea about the church. They, 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 what have they been doing all this time? Sacrifice system. Amen? Under the law. And I'm going to skip a couple things. I'm running out of time here. Um, the Bible says here that a woman ought to reverence her husband. Because of who he is and how great he is. Is that what it says? No. No. It's not about who he is or what he does or the position he holds in the family or any of that. It's about his representation of the bridegroom. Amen? Um, Revelation 19, 7 through 8 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now that phrase, is come, means it's here. Amen? In that particular point frame, time frame, it's here. On the slide I was going to show you, uh, it shows the, uh, the tribulation, the, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, the, the desolation of abomination, desolation in the middle, and then it show, it show, on, on top of that it showed the Bema seat, and then it showed the marriage. The marriage is going to come right after the Bema, and we're going to be married to God, married to Christ. And it says here, his wife has made, him, made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. The Apostle John says, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now that would mean that the marriage is complete. That would mean that the espousal period is over, which would mean that we're going up in the rapture of the church prior to the tribulation. Amen? Just in case you were wondering about that or had been struggling with the, the pre-tribulation viewpoint. Now notice it says, his wife has made herself ready. Notice here, it's his wife at this point. She's ready. She's allowed to wear white. Why would she be allowed to wear white? Because she's been proven pure. Amen? She's been evaluated at the Bema seat. She's passed the test of the espousal period. She has got the, the righteousness of, of the saints applied to her. 
<clears throat> Excuse me, how can that be if we're sinners? Well, the imputed righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us, amen? And applied to us as a church, and we've been washed in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Notice that the wedding dress is made of fine linen and clean white. We saw last week that that is the righteousness of the saints. And uh, so we, at this point, the bride is what? We talked about this last week. She's rewarded at this point. It's a done deal, right? Now they can go to the marriage. Revelation 19.5 says, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, that ye fear him, both great and small. I believe this is talking about those that were saved before the rapture of the church, before the church came into existence. I should say before the church came into existence. The Old Testament saints, this is them. They're the servants of Christ. Amen? When, the, when, you, when a wedding takes place, there's a lot of people at that wedding that aren't the bride and the bridegroom. Amen? That's who this is talking about. These would be all those that are invited to the wedding. Now, so last, lastly, I want you to ask yourself a question tonight. Are we living as if the bride, if, uh, are we living as the bride as if the espousal period is almost over? You think about it, all the weird stuff that's going on. You know, the Bible says there's many rumors of wars and all these kinds of things, and those are the beginning of sorrows. But you know, we're seeing some unprecedented things happening in our world today. Now, I'm not, uh, again, I'm with your pastor. I don't set dates. That's foolish. But I will say this, it's getting pretty weird out. And I will say this, everything that's supposed to happen uh, prophecy-wise, that's supposed to happen prior to the church has already happened. That's the next thing on God's time clock, and it could basically happen any moment. Any moment. Now, I know for the young folks, they think, well, i got a lot to do. Well, I'll tell you what, nothing that you have to do to, in this earth even compares to what heaven's going to be like. Amen. Amen. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. But the bottom line is, what are we doing? What are we doing in our own lives on this earth now? Are we living like we're in the espousal period and we're showing ourselves pure? Are we building with gold, silver, and precious stones, or are we building with wood, hand, stubble? Are we keeping ourselves pure and waiting for the watching, waiting and watching for the bridegroom to come? Second Timothy 4, 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the ju righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that what? Love his appearing. I asked this question last week. Are you loving his appearing? Are you looking forward to Christ coming back? Now, I'm an old guy, and I heard all over, okay? And how many old guys heard all over? Anybody on here? A few of you raised your hands. I'm looking forward to that, amen? I've lived my life. My, my race has run kind of an idea. But the truth of the matter is, I felt this way 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when I, when I was you know, a young man serving God, amen? I can't wait. It's going to be so cool. <laughs> it's so far beyond. And, and, you know, the more you learn about the Word, the more you realize you don't know anything about it. The more, the more you understand, the more you wish you understood. Uh, it is that deep and that, that incredible. My thoughts are not his thoughts, amen? But I know the things that I do know, and I just can't wait. I want to jump to get a head start, you kind of an idea, amen? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be beyond our comprehension how wonderful it's going to be. But the question is, what am I doing while I'm here? Am I just, am I, am I, am I just kind of, um, you know, passing one, one day off, you know, just kind of treading water here, kind of an idea? Or am I striving toward that goal? Paul says, I forget those things that are in the past. Now, he didn't forget them. Let me ask you, have you forgotten anything in your past much? Now you still remember all that stuff, especially the bad stuff, amen? Now, you remember some of the good stuff too, but the point is we don't forget it. What was he saying? I'm putting it behind me, amen? And I'm striving toward what? The mark of what? The high calling of God. Do you realize you are called of God? I don't care if you're scrubbing toilets, vacuuming the rug, or being a pastor in the church. You're called of God to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And that calling is the highest calling on the planet. Nothing could be higher than that. Nothing could be more important than that. 
And especially when you start looking at what we're heading for, we're heading for the marriage of the Lamb. We're going to be married to Him. And then we're heading for party time, amen? Then we're heading for the, for the, for the and that's the part I'm looking for, the marriage supper, huh? amen? Well, let me ask you, are you going to take your place there? Are you, Pastor asked it this morning, are you going to be there? Ask yourself, are you, are you sure you're going to be there? Are you absolutely, 100%, absolutely sure that when you close your eyes and take that last breath, that the next thing you're going to see is the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're not absolutely, 100% convinced of that, get it straight now. You know, when I first got saved, I doubted my salvation several times. I got to where the, the circumstances of life got to me and, and things like that. I did things I wasn't proud of, and I doubted my salvation. How could I think like that? How could I be like that? How could I act like that as a saved person? And I remember thinking to myself, I've got to do something about this. And I realized, you know what? God never said you couldn't try again. God never said you can't come to me again. So I just went to him again and said, Lord, if I didn't get it right the first time, I want it right this time. And I remember pulling over on the side of the road one day, and I was just bawling my eyes out, and I realized, man alive, it, could be, it very well could be that I'm not saved. And I don't know whether I got saved that day or I got saved the day I think I got saved kind of idea. It, to my mind, it doesn't matter. My mind is that, that's the day I put my life in his hands. I said, that's it, Lord, I'm done. I'm not playing any more games with you. you know, and I, and I think at that point, I just solidified it all in my heart and mind. But regardless of the case tonight, get it right. Don't go out of here tonight because you know what? You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised the next minute. You're not promised the next hour. The other night, I was coming out of the ranch, and this is what finalized, uh, what I want to finalize this with tonight. It was coming out of the ranch. It, it wasn't the other night. It was a while back because it was getting dark. It was about 8 and uh, I pulled up, there's a stop sign there at Main Street, Ripon, and, and Austin Road. And normally there's nobody there at that time of night. And I normally, I just kind of, you know how you do it in California, you stop and then you go. Uh, most of you don't even stop, right? I, I actually stop, but just for a moment. But something made me hesitate for a half a second, just a half a second. And I looked up and a diesel truck came through that stop sign at 65 miles an hour and everything slowed down. And he'd have smeared me like peanut butter if I'd have, st if I'd have stopped the normal way I normally stop. You realize how long it would have took me to go into eternity? Yeah. The, the, as long as light takes to flash off your eye. By the way, that's that word twinkling of an eye. That's not very long. That's milliseconds, amen? My point is, we're not, we're not promised, especially in this country. You're, driving in California, you're either one or two things. You're either two, one or two baseball teams, an angel or a dodger, amen? <laughs> um, that's an old joke, amen? But the point is, we aren't promised tomorrow. Do you love his appearing tonight? Have you got those things settled? Uh, are you looking forward to being married to Jesus Christ? That's the question. Amen? I'll turn it over to Pastor.